Tuesday is another first alert weather day. Rain is approaching the coast already and even heavier rain associated with our latest atmospheric river. It's on the way. I'm tracking that and the gusty winds in the forecast. Thanks, Paul. Also another busy day at Sandbag Stations. How an already saturated Bay Area is getting ready for more rain. And meanwhile, to our south, it's a race to shore up a busted levee that flooded an entire town before the next rain arrives. Also, a Bay Area lawmaker changing his tune on facial recognition, why he says police should be allowed to use the technology in their investigations. This is CBS News Bay Area with Juliet Goodrich. So here we go again. Yet another atmospheric river is taking aim at the Bay Area. Parts of the Bay Area already seeing scattered showers, but the main event is coming in overnight. So expect a wet commute tomorrow morning. Sandbag stations were once again up and running today in Contra Costa County. While the ground already is so saturated, there is concern another deluge of rain will lead to more flooding and more landslides. There's already big trouble in San Rafael, where a landslide shut down part of Bret Hart Road near Highway 101. It also brought down trees and power lines. The road has since reopened. But right now, all eyes are on Monterey County, where a levee breach along the Pajaro River led to really an entire farming community being inundated. You can see the damage in all of the water. And this threat is not over. A number of communities from Watsonville down south are under evacuation orders because of the threat of rising rivers. This storm certainly has a lot of people on edge. So let's get to first alert meteorologist Paul Hagen to kind of tell us where things are going to go second by second. Right. <laughs> We're going to be tracking more rain as we head through the rest of tonight. And while it's going to cause problems around the Bay Area, the heaviest rain is actually going to fall towards the Central Coast mm -hmm. and Southern California with the system. But let's focus on what's approaching us. And that rain is making its way onshore in the North Bay, and it's about to make its way onshore for the rest of the Bay Area. This is light to moderate rain to begin with. It's already hitting the ground for parts of Sonoma County, much of Marin County already. The yellow indicates some moderate rainfall rates, not enough to likely lead to any significant flooding threat, but just adding more moisture to already saturated soils across the Bay Area. And you can see the more substantial rain is still out over the ocean. That's going to be surging at us in waves as we head through the rest of this evening. Again, light rain at first, but as we get past midnight, that rain is going to become a little heavier with the heaviest rain arriving before the sun comes up on Tuesday. And I think we're still going to be tracking plenty of heavy downpours and gusty winds for the morning commute on Tuesday. Flood watch is in effect until early Wednesday morning, but really it is the time frame between about 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning and about 9 a.m. tomorrow when the heaviest rain falls. That's where we're most concerned about flooding problems and additional mudslides and debris flows. And we have a high wind warning that's in effect because of the potential for 40 to 70 mile an hour gusts, especially in the highest elevations of the mountain peaks around the Bay Area and right along the coast. All of this is associated with an atmospheric river. It ranks as an AR3, but kind of towards the lower end of that part of our atmospheric river scale. The problem is that while these AR3s typically bring us a balance of beneficial rain from a long term drop perspective, Perspective, but also those hazards of too much water and too much wind. When the ground is already saturated, everything slides down in the scale. So this is going to be something that brings us significant hazards, that flood threat and the wind damage potential. Make sure you're ready for power outages and localized flooding as we head through tonight and into the first half of tomorrow. We'll track the rest of the storm system with future cast coming up in just a few minutes. All right, let's head to Monterey County. Now, crews right now are racing to shore up a 120-foot section. It's broken levee along the Pajaro River before the rain returns. So they've been delivering boulders by the truckload to try to fill the gap. The water that gushed over the levee led to massive flooding in the farming community there. And in the past two days, some residents have had a run out of food. 
water and electricity. They're out of it entirely. Others are busy trying to clean up the muddy mess. One resident saying water and dirt got about five feet high in his own basement. The sheriff says the massive flooding throughout the region could devastate the local economy. The first storm, we were into the hundreds of millions of damage because it's not just the town. We are the lettuce capital of the world. The, they, they call it the lettuce bowl of the world. The economic industry or the drivers are ag and hospitality. And these type of events affect both of those industries. And in addition to lettuce, there is a lot of concern about the local strawberry crop. Under FDA rules, if the edible part of a crop is exposed to flood water, it has to be taken out of the food supply. The Pajaro Valley is well known for one of the few places that can get three lettuce crops in in a year. And there's heavy strawberry fields as well as other specialty crops. California grows more than a third of the country's vegetables and three quarters of its fruits and nuts. And certainly stay with CBS News Bay Area for continuing first alert weather coverage. As this storm rolls in overnight, we are always on the CBS News app and on KPIX.com. All right, turning to some other news now. Many of us use facial recognition technology to unlock our phones. Well, now there's a move to allow law enforcement to use that technology in some cases for public safety. Our Lauren Toms has been covering this on why some people are actually pushing back. Nathan Sheard has been an activist and organizer for over a decade. His latest fight is to preserve the right to privacy. But a new law could allow law enforcement to use facial recognition for public safety. Really, there's no way to separate the harms and the, the risks of uh, government use of face recognition technology from the use of the technology at all. In a park where there's 200, 300 people, it's you know, several thousand people, um, not, not infrequently, there's, 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 a, there's an anonymity there. With when in the absence of, of government use of face recognition technology, where you can go and you can listen to, vo to, to voices and messages that might be controversial without fear that you know, you'll be identified and potentially um, before you're even aware of whether you um, are, are in unison with them, that you could be associated with something that could potentially have, have a negative impact on your life. Absent of face recognition technology, you have that anonymity of, of the collective. Today, Sheard works at the Electronic Frontier Foundation, helping push legislation that protects people's right to privacy. And Sheard says the proposed policy strips a person's right to refusal, even if they're not committing a crime. It's even more concerning than simply having an officer walk up to someone on the street and ask for identification because you won't because it's you, it doesn't ha it happen in a way that you would even be able to know that it had happened. Under Assembly Bill 642, law enforcement could use facial recognition as an aid to an investigation and would prohibit its use as a sole reason for an arrest or search. The bill's sponsor, Assemblymember Phil Ting, championed the initial ban on facial recognition technology. He agrees that a moratorium on the technology is ideal, but says that a ban does not have enough support to continue under the current legislature. There's no regulation, which is the Wild West. So any law enforcement agency can do anything they want. This way, there's a set of statewide best practices. There's a set of statewide guidelines. Ting represents San Francisco, which is one of four California cities that have banned the use of this technology among police. He says the bill includes protections for people who are exercising their First Amendment freedoms. Anytime you're, you know, just a witness to a crime, anytime you are just using your constitutional rights, that facial recognition footage cannot be used uh, against you. But Sheard argues it's a slippery slope, particularly for minorities and undocumented people 
people who he says could be reprimanded for engaging in public protests and ultimately force people to think twice before speaking out. So Lauren tells us the bill would require the technology to be set to 98% accuracy, the highest level. San Francisco, Alameda, Berkeley, and Oakland have all banned police from using facial recognition. So if the bill passes, they could pass their own moratoriums. All right, well, we've seen Bay Area law enforcement use this military-grade equipment, including robots, during tense standoffs, hazmat situations, even bomb threats. Well, now a state law requires police and sheriff's departments to actually jump through a lot of hoops before using those devices. So Zara Donchi with The Late News joins us now to kind of break it all down in this debate over the military equipment. Like a lot of stories that we cover at 11, there is a lot of debate sure. on many sides of this. So the military-grade equipment includes, as you mentioned, those drones, those armored vehicles, flashbang grenades, rubber bullets. So as you said, this is one of those stories where if, if you ask different people about what they think about those kinds of tools being used by local police, you'll get different answers. So some critics and activists say that these kinds of things can really be misused by police against protesters, for example. However, a local sheriff's deputy says these are very important tools that buy law enforcement more time to make better and safer decisions. He says it protects officers and a lot of this technology isn't necessarily new, but we talked to a legislator behind this crackdown and a local deputy who says the equipment is misunderstood. So again, many, many uh, ideas mm -hmm. about this kind of equipment, how it should best be used and who should be using it. Right. There's some concern about, you know, going to, to an extreme, mm -hmm. but obviously they've got some credibility or some reasonings why. So they're going to explain that, right? Yeah, both sides explain. Okay. All right. Thank you. See you at 11. <laughs>